0: chapter four of stephen mitchell's journey by pansy this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four the afternoon accommodation one more experience had stephen this time with a young fellow of about his own age but one very unlike him in appearance indeed had stephen but realized it he was quite as faultlessly dressed as the clerk at the dry goods store who had so aroused his ire but this young man wore his dress as though it occupied a subordinate place and had no idea of demanding attention he came down the aisle where stephen still stood as if rooted to the spot and addressed him cordially did you get good notes i saw you writing i tried to take notes but somehow i failed he is such a rapid speaker do you write shorthand no then i don't see how you succeeded so well he pours out words in such a torrent but he is magnificent isn't he i tell you if i knew one-third of what that man does i am afraid i should be vain did you ever hear a lecture so full of historic reference why he went all over the field of literature ever hear of him before he is a chicago preacher one of the finest they say in the city I don't recall his name but i know i should like to hear him preach these are wonderful opportunities are they not and the young man whose voice and dress and manner all showed that he belonged to another world than stephen's smiled on him with an air of good fellowship before he sprang up the aisle and was lost in the throng who shall undertake to represent stephen mitchell's frame of mind HE TO BE SHAKEN HANDS WITH BY ELEGANT GENTLEMEN, TO BE CONGRATULATED ON THE NOTES HE HAD TAKEN, HE TO BE ASKED IF HE WROTE SHORTHAND, WHATEVER THAT WAS. IT WAS A TERM QUITE NEW TO HIM, BUT GLANCING DOWN AT HIS STRONG RED HAND WHEN THE QUESTION WAS ASKED, HE HAD REALIZED THAT WHATEVER ELSE THAT HAND MIGHT BE, IT CERTAINLY WAS NOT SHORT, THEREFORE HAD ANSWERED IN THE NEGATIVE. SHORTHAND! He said to himself, "I wonder what kind of writing it is. Easier than mine, I dare say, or his, in either, for that matter." He thought, "If I did, I could write more. I mean to find out what it is." He drew a long, quivering breath. The world had suddenly grown very large to him. There was a great deal to find out. He went mechanically through the duties which filled the next hour found Mr. Baker, and made a satisfactory trade, less embarrassed than usual, less conscious of his feet and of his hands, and the clumsiness of his tongue, than he had ever been before when trying to transact business. More alert, also, as regarded prices and the money he received. So alert, in fact, that Mr. Baker, looking after him as he drove out of the grounds with his empty wagon, said, that fellow knows more than he looks to at first sight he has quite a head for business which remark would have astonished stephen's father all the way to the village the boy was absorbed with the new thoughts which presented themselves in such whirls before him it cannot strictly be said that he thought there was too much chaos in his mind to dignify the process by that name still he went over in some fashion the vivid scenes of the last two hours he lingered with the notes which had been carefully put away in an unused vest pocket since they had taken to his consciousness the form of dollars he felt half afraid and wholly reverent before them this feeling had been added to by some words he had overheard as he stood waiting for mr baker to calculate the money due two gentlemen standing near had discussed the lecture of the morning and then had made one of them this astonishing announcement gets a hundred dollars i suppose for that lecture i suppose so said the other it is worth it i would be willing to pay my share toward another hundred for the sake of hearing it again a hundred dollars stephen mitchell repeated under his breath the magic words a hundred dollars paid to a man for standing on a platform for an hour and pouring out words then words were dollars many dollars for he had brains enough to know that the man could go on other platforms and repeat the same words over and over again he said to himself there is no end to the money he can make by them as he thought of this phase of the question he took out the precious paper and began to count the words, while Doll and Dobbin, much refreshed by their long rest, trotted steadily down the hill toward the village. It filled Stephen with amusement to discover that he had a hundred and three words on his paper. Three more dollars than he made, he chuckled. Well, I never. I wonder what father would think of that plowing hoeing digging and the land knows what from sunrise to sunset day after day week in and week out to get a hundred dollars toward paying the interest on the mortgage and buying the things we've got to have and here's a man that stands up and talks off a lot of words just as fast as he can and in about an hour makes his hundred dollars it does beat all i think i better learn the meaning of the words That man said it would be an education to understand all they meant. I vow I mean to understand all of 'em. I will so. I'll pitch into the things. He used a lot of words I didn't get, to be sure. But after I understand a hundred and three, maybe some of the others will come to me. I shouldn't wonder. Anyhow, I'm going to try for it. There's a lot of chances for thinking and planning while I'm at work. "'I'm just going in. I won't tell no one a thing about it. But I'll take means somehow to learn that first word, the meaning of it, the different ways in which it can be used, and all. I don't care if they do find it out and laugh at me. I just mean to do it. Whoa!' For to his surprise Doll and Dobbin reached the village and were passing the despised corner store, where the braid was to be matched and the disagreeable clerk must be endured he was fully as disagreeable as usual he had his hair parted nearly in the middle he wore a very heavy watch-chain which stephen did not know was not pure gold he had a superior smile on his face and irritated his customer to the degree that when he turned to him and said in a condescending tone well my good fellow what can i do for you today?" The country boy felt like doubling up his strong red fist and knocking him down, however, he did nothing of the kind, but with great meekness produced the bit of green and struggled to bring his powers of discernment to bear upon the subject of matching it. It appears to me that that's it, he said at last, putting his strong forefinger, which was finished with a black and stubbed nail, on one of the rolls. Oh no said the clerk with a disagreeable simper which sounded like an ill-suppressed sneer i assure you you are utterly mistaken my fine fellow the ladies would go wild if they depended upon you for a match then he laughed prodigiously over the smartness of his pun stephen's red face grew redder but he was not sufficiently sure of his ground to make reply and the clerk went on glibly now this is a much better match and a finer article in every way it is for your sister i suppose well you take my word for it this is what she wants and i hope you will explain to her that i rescued her from a very bad match indeed how many yards did you say and he shook off a quantity from the roll preparatory to measuring it just a little below him selecting papers of pins of various sizes stood a young woman unknown to stephen she was of another world than that of the bascom girls and their friends a very quiet young woman as regarded dress and movements stephen mitchell being called upon some time afterward to tell how she was dressed could say no more than that it was in some pale still stuff that looked as though it was made a purpose for her and wasn't going to wear out Such was the impression made upon his senses by her outer covering. Neither was he much more lucid in regard to the color of hair or eyes. Both, he thought, were brown, though the eyes, he admitted under cross-questioning, might be gray. They were big, he was sure of that, and, kind of searching-looking, as though they saw lots of things that they didn't mean to tell anything about. And her voice— but this part stephen mitchell always kept to himself it would have been too absurd he decided to put into words but her voice made him ever after think of that burst of music which began glory be to god the father yet the words which she said were commonplace enough she turned those gray eyes of hers at that particular moment when the clerk was prepared to measure the green braid fixed them for an instant on stephen's face then upon the clerk and said quietly i do not agree with you mr pettibone i think the young man's judgment is correct for his sister's sake i hope you will let me suggest that the braid he selected first is the proper shade for his sample and i am glad to learn that you do not consider it of so good a quality as the other i supposed it was higher priced of course it is not so expensive then it was mr pettibone's turn to blush there is no accounting for the taste of the ladies he said with an attempt at nonchalance i think myself this is the better match and i am quite sure the sister will be pleased with her brother's selection i hope he will insist upon it fixing her eyes in calm penetration on mr pettibone's blushing face i will so said stephen gathering voice give me the other three yards of it and be just as quick as you can for i'm in a hurry then he wondered if the young woman ought to be thanked for her help and earnestly hoped she ought not for certainly he could never do it meantime he gave outward attention to the clerk you told me this was fifteen cents a yard he said picking up the discarded braid and that it was better than the other how much cheaper is that there was the faintest gleam of satisfaction in the eyes of the young woman as she paid for her pins and moved from the store it amused her to discover that the awkward country boy whom she had saved from making a grievous mistake had been quick-witted enough to take advantage of the clerk's glib statements and demand a lower price for the braid which had been pronounced of poorer quality however This was not quick-wittedness on Stephen Mitchell's part. It was simple honesty. He knew nothing about the quality of braids. He took the clerk's statement in good faith, and was astonished to find himself obliged to pay fifteen cents a yard for that which had been declared inferior. Neither did he know why Mr. Pettibone should have grown gruff very suddenly. "'He is sulking.' he said to himself, as he pocketed the braid and went to his waiting horses, because I didn't like the kind he picked out. Just as if I didn't know green when I saw it and laid it beside another piece of green. I ain't worked alongside of rows of grass and bushes and all sorts of shades of trees all my life for nothing. I know green, I guess. Anybody can see that it was a better match than the other. The thing I don't understand is, Why I need have been so dumb foolish as to almost take the other green, when I knew better all the time. But then folks never know what a girl is going to call a match. Sarah Jane said the clerk would know. She depended on the clerk. A nice match it would have been, according to the other girl, if I had depended on him. I don't think he need to sulk over it, though." if stephen had known that mr pettibone had been obliged to sell three yards of braid for fifteen cents a yard which was distinctly marked twenty and made up the difference out of his own pocket he would have understood the sulks better one more errand and one that he hated worse if possible than that at the corner store stephen could only earnestly hope that fanny and celia bascombe were not at home or at least that they would not be anywhere within speaking distance while he was waiting for the pattern. I don't see, he muttered, what Sarah Jane finds in them Bascom girls. If she had seen some of the girls I have today, she would know better than that. They don't look no more like the Bascom girls than poppies and sunflowers look like roses and little white lilies, and they don't look no more like her than nothing in the world or out of it comparisons were exhausted when he remembered those grave kind eyes and the pale still stuff in which their owner was dressed he was destined to be unfortunate fanny bascom was at home the one whom he disliked more if possible than he did celia she was not only at home but it was her voice which greeted him from the piazza why if here isn't stephen mitchell for pity's sake steve where did you come from i didn't know as you ever got so far from home nowadays how's sarah jane you want to see ma come in ma here's steve mitchell wants to see you for something a pattern said mrs bascom waddling in from the great farm kitchen looking heated and tired land alive there's no need to ask me for a pattern it is some of fanny's folder rolls that she wants why didn't you tend to it yourself fanny what pattern is it that you promised miss mitchell i didn't promise any pattern oh my yes i remember she asked me coming out of church one day if i couldn't lend sarah jane my skirt pattern i forgot all about it i was going to send it to her but i never have a chance to send away out there dear me i don't know where that pattern is if you are in a hurry steve you had better go on and i will hunt it up and send it let me see when can i send it won't your folks be out sunday some of them i ain't in any desperate hurry said stephen with a dogged determination to have sarah jane pleased and a dim idea that the skirt pattern was to go with the green braid somehow i ain't in any desperate hurry if you could look it up now i could wait I've got a pretty good start toward home. It was a long speech for Stephen Mitchell to make. It involved not a little self-sacrifice on his part, for he was most anxious to be on his way home, out of sight of the Bascoms. Well said, Fanny, with a reluctant sigh. I suppose I may as well go and hunt it now as any time. Only I am all dressed. I do hate to rummage through boxes and things after I get dressed don't you remember seeing it ma no i don't said mrs bascom shortly and i ain't going to leave the supper i am cooking to go upstairs and hunt it either when you promise to lend things to folks you ought to tend to it i suppose they have been waiting for it for weeks it must be four or five weeks at least since Miss mitchell spoke about it coming out of church i never did see such a careless girl as you are in my life fanny bascom I would be ashamed not to be ready to do a little favour of that kind for a neighbour. They were out in the wide hall now, and though their voices could be distinctly heard, they did not seem to be aware of it, or else they cared nothing for Stephen Mitchell's ears. Fanny answered irritably. Neighbour Ma, what a ridiculous idea. They live most five miles away. I don't care about lending my patterns anyhow who wants the skirts of every country girl for ten miles around made exactly like yours i have a great mind to tell him i can't find it you will have to hunt a good while first muttered stephen whose energies were now roused in the direction of the skirt pattern and who resolved to doggedly stand his ground and insist upon his ability to wait hours if necessary while it was being hunted He was conscious of disliking Fanny Bascom more than ever before, but for some reason he was not so much afraid of her as usual. End of chapter 4